Glycemic control in the critically ill. Less is more. A review by Gaith Al-Hathami, Haider Al-Diwani, Berhan Seyum, and others from Wayne State University, Detroit, USA. Cleveland Clinical Journal of Medicine, 2022. Initial clinical trials of intensive insulin therapy targeting blood glucose levels of 80 to 110 mg per deciliter showed improved outcomes, but subsequent trials found no benefits and even increased harm with this approach. Emerging literature has evaluated other glycemic indices, including time in target blood glucose range, glycemic variability, and stress hyperglycemia ratio. These indices, while well described in observational studies, have not been addressed in the initial trials. Additionally, the patient's pre-existing diabetes status and pre-admission diabetic control may modulate the outcomes of stringent glycemic control, with worse outcomes of hyperglycemia being observed patients without diabetes and in those with well-controlled diabetes. Most medical societies recommend less stringent glucose control in the range of 140 to 180 mg dl for critically ill patients. Hyperglycemia has been associated with adverse clinical outcomes in critically ill patients, regardless of diabetes status. Proposed causes of stress hyperglycemia include excessive counter-regulatory hormones and release of cytokines tumor necrosifactor TNF-alpha and interleukin IL-1. These factors can promote a transient state of insulin resistance that can lead to decreased insulin action on suppressing gluconeogenesis and also to decreased uptake of insulin-mediated skeletal muscle glucose. Factors contributing to hyperglycemia in hospitalized patients include medications, parental nutrition and intravenous medications diluted in dextrose. Further, hyperglycemia itself induces production of inflammatory cytokines and reactive oxygen species. It also impairs the neutrophil functions of chemotaxis and bactericidal activity. Additionally, hyperglycemia and hyperinsulinemia have been shown to increase tissue procoagulant activity that may add to the procoagulant state. These mechanisms may explain the poor outcomes observed with hyperglycemia. Initial single-center randomized clinical trials RCTs of intensive insulin therapy targeting blood glucose levels in the fasting range found significant mortality and morbidity benefit, and this strategy gained popularity. However, subsequent multicenter RCTs failed to replicate these findings, and the largest RCT, the normal glycemia and intensive care evaluation, survival using glucose algorithm regulation trial reported evidence of harm with this intervention. Other glycemic indices 
have shown independent impacts on outcomes in the intensive care unit ICU. In fact, the time in range, glycemic variability and the modulation effect of pre-existing diabetes status although thoroughly evaluated by observation studies were not examined in the early ICTs. This may explain potential differences in outcomes between these trials. This review will discuss findings from the major RCTs, metrics of glycemic control and recommendations of professional medical societies for target blood glucose ranges in critically ill patients. Metrics of glycemic control, hyperglycemia. In observational study results published from 2003 to 2009, hyperglycemia was generally associated with adverse clinical outcomes in critically ill patients in various settings, medical, surgical, trauma, and neurologic. For example, in one retrospective analysis, hyperglycemia had a graded effect on hospital mortality. In all trials, trauma patients with hyperglycemia had increased mortality rates, hospital length of stay, ICU length of stay, and incidences of nosocomial infection. Moreover, hyperglycemia was associated with worse neurologic outcomes and elevated intracranial pressure in patients with severe traumatic brain injury, and early hyperglycemia was an independent predictor of worse caused on the Glasgow Coma Scale. The relationship between hyperglycemia and mortality in ICU patients is modulated by their diabetes status. Observational studies have shown that the greatest reduction in mortality associated with intensive insulin therapy was seen in patients without diabetes. In AG and others, multivariate logistic regression analysis showed greater reduction in odds of mortality when 80 to 110 mg per deciliter was used in patients without diabetes compared with other blood glucose targets. In contrast, for patients with diabetes, the mortality benefit had a poor correlation. The cohorts of critically ill patients with diabetes were not identical. Thus, pre-admission diabetic control, as evidenced by hemoglobin A1c levels, might have a differential impact on the hyperglycemia mortality relationship. For instance, in a retrospective observational study of patients with HbA1c levels obtained at admission for patients with a low HbA1c level, increases in mean blood glucose values were associated with increased mortality risk. The risk was decreased when the HbA1c was above 7%. This may signify that patients with poorly controlled diabetes may benefit from a less stringent glucose target. In addition to mortality outcomes, early hyperglycemia, hyperglycemia admission, and worsening or highly variable hyperglycemia were associated with higher rates 
of infectious complications in critically ill patients. After correction for severity of illness and other variables, including age, elevated glucose, was an independent predictor of increased infectious morbidity in these studies. To study the complex interplay between acute and chronic hyperglycemia and mortality in hospitalized patients, Roberts and others developed the stress hyperglycemia ratio, calculated as the blood glucose level at admission divided by the estimated average glucose, which was inferred from the HbA1c as follows. The estimated average glucose equals HbA2 times 1.59 minus 2.59. In Roberts and others, the stress hyperglycemia ratio, but not admission hyperglycemia, was associated with adverse outcomes. These findings were corroborated by other cohort studies, demonstrating that the stress hyperglycemia ratio was independently associated with increased risk of death and additional complications. Time in the target glucose range. The TIR had been proposed as a unifying metric of glycemic control because it is affected by hyperglycemia, hypoglycemia and glycemic variability. The glucocontrolled study was the only RCT that explicitly reported TIR. A subsequent post hoc analysis of data from this study showed that TIR greater than 50% for a glucose target of 140 to 180 mg dl was independently associated with increased rate of survival. A series of single center studies using this print protocol, a tight glycemic control intervention examined the effect of TIR determined cumulative time in bed on organ failure and mortality in critically ill patients receiving intensive insulin therapy. Reduced organ failure as evidenced by a reduction in the SOFA score was associated with a TIR greater than 50% while a TIR greater than 70% was independently associated with improved survival. A subsequent prospective study of patients after cardiac surgery showed improved outcomes in decreased duration of both mechanical ventilation and ICU length of stay in those with a TIR greater than 80%. Regardless of diabetes status, the incident of sternal wound Infection was significantly higher in patients with a TIR below 80% versus patients with a TIR above 80%. The effect of diabetes status on TIR outcomes has been studied by Crinsley and Pryzer. In their retrospective analysis of the prospectively collected data and independent of severity, of illness and ICU length of stay, a TIR greater than 80% for a blood glucose of 70 to 140 mg dl was strongly associated 
would increase survival in critically ill patients without diabetes, but not in patients with diabetes. One could argue that the design of the study did not include data on baseline glycemic control before ICU admission, and so it questions whether poorly controlled diabetes has an impact on the benefits of a high TIR. A more recent landmark retrospective multicenter study by Lanspa and others published in 2019 sought to examine this effect and found it a TIR greater than 80% for a blood glucose target of 70 to 139 mg deciliter was independently associated with reduced mortality in patients with or without diabetes. However, when diabetes status was stratified into well-controlled and poorly controlled disease, the TIR effect was not significant in patients with poorly controlled diabetes. This finding suggests that antecedent poor glucose control may potentially confound the effects of tired glycemic control if not taken into consideration. Glycemic variability Glycemic variability is defined as the fluctuation of blood glucose or other parameters of glucose homeostasis of a given time. The most frequently used metrics of assessing short-term within-day glycemic variability are the following. Standard deviation of glucose, coefficient of variation for glucose, mean amplitude of glycemic excursions. Ryan and others propose another metric for glycemic variability in type 1 diabetes, termed the glycemic liability index based on the change in glucose level over a four-week period. A discussion of the interpretation and reference values of these indices is beyond the scope of this review. There is strong evidence that high glycemic variability is associated with increased short-term and long-term mortality and hospital length of stay is heterogeneous cohorts of critically ill patients with one study showing a higher mortality rate with increasing glycemic variability in patients with sepsis when the glycemic liability index was divided into decils. Increased rates of bacteremia, nonsocomial infections and surgical site infections have also been linked to increased glycemic variability. For example, Atma and others found that increased glycemic variability increased the risk of bacteremia in non-ICU patients hospitalized for acute infections illnesses. Donati and others found that in critically ill patients increased glycemic variability in all three indices noted above were significantly associated with infectious morbidity and mortality with the highest quartile of the glycemic liability index having the strongest association with ICU-acquired infection. Subramanian and others reported that post-operative glycemic variability in the first 24 hours after cardiac surgery carried the highest rate of a composite of post-operative adverse events 
including superficial and deep sternal wound infections. Several studies have evaluated the effects of antecedent diabetes status as well as hypoglycemia. Interestingly, when Crinsley and others stratified patients based on their prior diagnosis of diabetes, a high glycemic variability was associated with increased mortality and shortened survival in acutely ill patients without diabetes, but not in patients with diabetes. The landmark study by Lampsa and others used a standardized electronic insulin protocol to minimize interfacitions variability in insulin titration. They found that even though the coefficient of variation was independently associated with 30-day mortality, this association was higher for patients without diabetes than for those with diabetes. Although these studies were adequately powered and their populations were stratified for diabetes states, their potential weaknesses is that this certification was made based on either chart review or the international classification of disease. Nine codes without including the HbA1c. Thus, diabetes diagnosis could have been missed. In addition, the effect of glycemic variability was not studied in patients with well-controlled versus poorly controlled diabetes based on HbA1c values, as was done for the TIR. The effect of glycemic variability on mortality outcomes though potentially confounded by hypoglycemia, was also proven to be a strong independent predictor of mortality when adjusting for hypoglycemia and disease severity. In fact, in one study the risk of hypoglycemia was 3.2 times higher in patients with increased glycemic variability. Hyperglycemia, a complicating factor. The American Diabetes Association defines hypoglycemia as a blood glucose level below 70 mg deciliter and classifies it as follows. Level 1, 70 to more than or equal 54 mg deciliter. Level 2, less than 54 mg deciliter. Level 3, a clinical event characterized by altered mental or physical status requiring assistance for treatment of hypoglycemia. In observational studies, hypoglycemia has been independently associated with increased risk of death in critically ill patients. In RCT, a pooled analysis of the NICE sugar study and the study by Mayfroyd and others showed the hypoglycemia increased the odds of mortality. In one study, mild hypoglycemia was associated with increased mortality regardless of diabetes, status and diagnosis of conditions. In a retrospective study, Pukshaw and others found the early hypoglycemia and its severity were associated with increased mortality in a dose-dependent fashion. Interestingly, mortality was higher in patients with two episodes of hypoglycemia 
than in those with only one episode. Saliba and others examined outcomes based on whether hypoglycemia was induced by medication or was spontaneous during the course of critical illness. Results were stratified based on the cause of hypoglycemia. They found that the effects on mortality rates were equally harmful and that the cause did not have a significant impact. Glycemic targets in clinical studies Single Center Trials In 2010, May Freud and others published results of a retrospective analysis of data first published in 2001 by Van Denberg and others. In the trial, 1,548 patients, mainly with cardiac disease, admitted to the surgical ICU were randomized to receive either intensive insulin therapy or hyperglycemia treatment only when it reached the renal threshold. Reductions in mortality, critical illness, polyneuropathia, acute renal failure, transfusion requirement and bloodstream infections were more significant in the intensive insulin therapy group than in the tolerating hyperglycemia group. However, hypoglycemia was more frequent in the intensive treatment cohort. In 2006, Van der Berg and others published results from a similar trial in 1,200 exclusively medical ICU patients. The insulin infusion protocols and nutritional strategies were the same as in the study of surgical patients. Results showed that intensive insulin therapy did not decrease hospital mortality rates. However, the group had significant reductions in length of ICU and hospital stay, mechanical ventilation duration, and acute renal failure. As in the first trial, hypoglycemia was significantly more prevalent in the intensive insulin treatment group. Multicenter trials Subsequent multicenter RCTs failed to confirm the mortality benefits of intensive insulin therapy reported by Van der Berger and others, and Mayfreud and others. The efficacy of volume substitution in insulin therapy in severe sepsis studies VISEP, was conducted in medical and surgical ICU patients with sepsis, with results published in 2008. One year later, results were published from the glucontrol study conducted in a similar population. However, both studies were terminated prematurely due to increased hypoglycemia in the intensive therapy arm in VISEP and a high rate of unintended protocol violations in glucontrol. Enthusiasm for strict glycemic control was further reduced by the 2009 publication of results from the International Multicenter Nice Sugar Study, which randomized 6,104 patients. In Nice Sugar, the intensive insulin therapy cohort had higher 90 day mortality rates and a higher incidence of severe hypoglycemia than the conventional therapy group.
Moreover, there was no reported difference between the group in ICU or hospital length of stay duration of mechanical ventilation or need for renal replacement therapy. In a 24-month follow-up study of nice sugar, no differences were detected in favorable neurological outcomes or mortality in patients with rheumatic brain injury. Explaining discrepancies in study results Difference in blood glucose targets the Leuven studies and VISEP used target glucose levels of 80 to 110 mg dL stringent in the intervention groups and 180 to 200 mg dL loose in the control groups. In contrast, the glucontrol study used 80 to 110 mg dL for the intervention group stringent 140 to 180 mg dL intermediate for the controls. And the NICE sugar study used 81 to 108 mg dL stringent for the interventional arm and 144 to 180 mg dL intermediate for the controls. Thus, comparisons between stringent and intermediate glucose targets have not been addressed by adequately powered. RCTs. In attempts to find an optimal blood glucose target, Yamada and others and Yatabe and others performed network meta-analyses of published RCTs comparing insulin regimens in critically ill adults with hyperglycemia. Unlike the standard pairwise meta-analysis, a network meta-analysis has the advantage of comparing the efficacy of more than two interventions using direct and indirect or mixed comparison for the intervention groups. Using a common comparator, indirect comparisons can examine interventions arms that had no prior direct head-to-head comparisons in clinical trials. The two meta-analysis divided study groups into four interventions based on different blood glucose targets tight, moderate, mild and loose. Results revealed no significant difference relevant to the mortality risk for any comparison. However, these findings should be interpreted with caution as the validity of indirect and mixed comparisons is built on the assumption that there are no differences between trials other than the intervention or treatment, which is clearly a limitation given the methodologic differences of the key trials. Differences in other glycemic control metrics and diabetes status. The TIR glycemic variability, pre-existing diabetes status and pre-admission glycemic control play important modifying roles on the benefits of stringent insulin therapy mortality outcomes as discussed by both. Apart from the glucose control trial that reported TIR and glycemic variability, early RCTs based comparisons only on the blood glucose target which can potentially confound the results. 
differences in methods of glucose measurement. Inaccurate glucose measurement can lead to insulin dosing errors that can cause hypoglycemia. A review article by Inouye and others found that the first Leuven trial used precise blood gas analysis, which are more accurate than traditional point-of-care capillary glucose meters. Subsequent trials, Medical Leuven VISEP, Glucontrol, and Nice Sugar used both arterial and capillary analysis. The point-of-care glucose meters, while having the advantage of easy to use and rapidity can be affected by anemia, arterial oxygen tension, and the patient's medications, especially given the outdated glucose monitors used in these studies. Continuous glucose monitoring was not available at the time of the initial RCTs. This technology can offer significant benefit in improving glycemic control using a wide range of metrics such as TIR, time above range, and time below range, which can provide more precise data on glycemic control than conventional intermittent glucose monitoring. Clinical trials evaluating continuous glucose monitoring in hospitalized patients have been mainly confined to the intravascular route, and thus minimally invasive devices have not been thoroughly studied. We believe that use of continuous glucose monitoring can probably provide more objective information on optimal blood glucose targets for future trials, especially when combined with validated computerized insulin protocols. Differences in insulin administration protocols. The Leuven trials and VISEP used a strict algorithm for insulin titration. In contrast, the nice sugar trial protocol was less standardized, allowing physicians to use their discretion and thus introducing interclinician variability in insulin administration, which can jeopardize TIR and increase glycemic variability. In a multi-center international RCT published in 2017, a clinical validated computer algorithm for insulin infusion was compared with a nurse-driven protocol. Results showed that the computerized protocol achieved higher quality of blood glucose control as evidenced by lower hypoglycemia rates, high TIR, and low glycemic variability than the nurse-driven protocol. We hypothesized that a standardized computer-based insulin protocol can minimize interclinician variability and enhance compliance of the treating team. What do medical societies recommend? Several medical societies have guidelines on blood glucose targets for insulin therapy. The American Diabetes Association, citing the NICE sugar trial results, recommends the insulin therapy be started for persistent hyperglycemia more than 880 mg dl 
with a target glucose range of 140 to 180 milligram deciliter in most clinically ill patients. In notes, the more aggressive goals may be more appropriate for specific groups of patients if these targets can be achieved without significant hypoglycemia. On the other hand, glucose concentrations of 180 mg deciliter may be acceptable in terminally ill patients, in patients with severe comorbid conditions and in inpatient care settings where frequent glucose monitoring or close nursing supervision is not feasible. The American College of Physicians recommends targeting a blood glucose range of 140 to 200 mg deciliter in surgical and medical ICU patients, avoiding targets below 140 mg deciliter due to likely increased harm. Guidelines of the Society of Critical Care Medicine suggest a blood glucose value of 150 mg deciliter or greater to trigger the use of insulin therapy with the goal of maintaining a glucose level below 150 mg for most critically ill patients and maintaining the glucose level absolutely below 180 mg Take-home message. The optimal blood glucose target for patients in the ICU remains known. But a target of 140 to 180 mg is the most acceptable for critically ill patients. We believe the future studies investigating the optimal target for ICU patients should do the following. Include other glycemic metrics, take into account pre-admission diabetes diagnosis and pre-morbid glycemic control, use accurate blood glucose monitoring methods combined with a standardized validated insulin algorithm. This will enable studies to shed light on appropriate glycemic targets and may lead to more individualized approach for the clinically ill patient rather than a universal approach. Thank you for listening to Pabreading. Follow me on Twitter Pabreading or drop an email with suggestions or article in mind to info.pub.reading at gmail.com.